Good evening. It's good to see all of you here. I trust you came to hear word of the Lord, not Tom Shaw. Appreciated the verse there in 2 Timothy 4, where our brother read for our devotional meditation, or he ended up there. Do we love his appearing? He ended up there. But also to those who love his appearing. <clears throat> that was a passage of scripture that I hadn't intended to use, but it fit right in. <clears throat> I do want to preach you in the name of Jesus. The one that said, surely I am coming quickly. I stand in awe tonight in fear and trouble because I sense God is wanting something in this message tonight and not two weeks ago. I want to extend my sympathies to those of you that are feeling the sudden passing of Brother Keith. You have related to him a lot closer than I have. And I want to be sensitive to that tonight. As we go through this message. And if I say something rather insensitive as it relates to his passing, I didn't intend to be insensitive. I don't know what God has for us in this message. A few weeks ago, it was canceled because of some sickness in my house. Brother Darren, when we made the switch to cancel, he asked me, he said, well, would it suit in two weeks? I said, well, it doesn't look like we have anything on the schedule. In my schedule, it should work. And so we booked it for tonight. And he had told me that they had canceled or we're planning to cancel tonight due to um, some extra things going on, conference, ministers week, things like that. And so we, we planned it for tonight. Well, then at conference, Brother Philip comes to me and he tells me, is it okay if I tell what the fuller story is? Okay. The fuller story was everything that the committee tried to plan for tonight was closed doors. Is that right? It was closed doors, closed doors, closed doors, closed doors. And so they decided, well, maybe we should just cancel with everything going on. After he told me that, and on my way home Wednesday evening after conference, this concept really started gripping me that I was starting to feel that God was at work and God had a plan and God wanted this message tonight. And now we have the sudden reminder of a quick possibility of what we call passing from life into eternity. And tonight's message is not the same as it was two weeks ago. The preamble has been largely overhauled, and the last point that I had has been largely overhauled. Like I said, I don't know what God has for us. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And when that door was shut, in the, the opportunity for grace for those that are outside that boat was over with. The choices were over and the cast was set. 
and only those that believed God and acted upon their belief of the word of God were salvaged from the wrath of God. I'm going to repeat that. Only those that believed God and acted upon their belief of the word of God were salvaged from the wrath of God. Noah, his wife, three sons, and their wives. Eight souls that were salvaged from the wrath of God. I invite you to turn with me to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. This is where Jesus talked about Noah, as in the days of Noah. Verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the day before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be out in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I'd like to draw a few things that I, from what Jesus said about his return and what happened Friday morning. I'm just going to make some, I'm just going to make some parallels here. As in the day of Noah, Keith's door of opportunity was shut Friday. I don't know what time it was, but it became shut. His choices are over with. No amount of pounding on his door is going to make any difference. Noah's Ark is a type and shadow of the church today. Prepared to lift those that are inside above the outpouring of God's wrath upon those who refuse to believe God's word. And those outside died a horrible death. I don't know if you've ever really thought about this story. In my mind, I've envisioned as the rain started falling, I wonder how many people started pounding on the side of that boat but not one was able to get inside. And if they became believers, they still perished in the water. They still died a horrible death. They did not die a natural death. I don't see anybody dying of natural causes between Revelations 9 to 4, 19, or 4 to 19 as we read the book of Revelation. I suggest to you that the door of the ark is closed at the end of chapter 3. And we'll, in the course of the message, we'll get there a little bit. The door of the ark closes between chapters 3 and chapters 4 of Revelation. When Jesus catches his bride away, as we have it in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 and 6, uh, 16 and 17, where the trump of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise, and those that are alive and remain shall be caught up. And the graves will be open. I'm just quoting my memory here. 
And those who are alive and remain shall be caught up and go so be with the Lord forever. And the church goes into this marriage supper of the Lamb. Taken from Matthew 25. Just a few things, a few more things about Friday morning. As it relates to what Jesus said here in Matthew 24. Were those that were with Keith Friday having a good time? I mean, I mean good time as in enjoying life, enjoying what they were doing, set out, they, they, were, they were anticipating having a good day, um, setting out to, to accomplish what they had planned to accomplish for the day. And I'm not suggesting that they were eating and drinking and marrying and making merry. But yet, they were going through their daily life. They were doing the normal things that normal people do. I'm, I'm convinced of that. Another thing that I find interesting about this story, or the two scenarios, is Jesus talks about two men working in the field. The one taken, the other left. And here, I'm not suggesting that those that were with Keith Friday morning were not ready, okay? But when Jesus comes, those outside the boat will be left. Are you making the connection with me? Did Jesus come for Brother Keith? Was it a coming like a thief in the night? I don't know the story. I, don't, I haven't sat down with the family. I, I, don't, I don't know the story, but I really doubt that Keith knew that he was going to fall through the skylight. I really doubt. Because if he had, I suspect that he would have probably been on the lookout for the skylight and treated him like the plague. Or maybe even not even climbed up on that roof that morning. I just won't go up there. Or maybe just stayed in bed. Know what I mean? Yes. The Lord Jesus came for Keith as a thief in the night. I don't think Keith was planning on it. He was snatched away in a moment of time. If that was us, would we be ready? Friends, this is how Jesus said he was going to come in a moment of time. And when that trumpet blast sounds and we see the graves open up, it's too late to get ready. It's too late to get ready. And as I pondered on this message yesterday, I couldn't help but see some of these parallels. Between Brother Keith's passing, what Jesus said would be like when he would return. I share these because I believe God is sending us a sober message tonight. And we had better be ready. It is possible Jesus could come for you and for me in a moment of time, in the twinkling of an eye either individually or collectively. Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. Well, that was the preamble that God altered since Friday morning. Back to my earlier notes. 
I'm not sure what you're expecting out of the message tonight. If you're hoping that I might teach on some end time prophecy, you might leave rather disappointed. I don't plan to hold a Bible prophecy conference tonight. But I might share some on prophecy, at least enough that might expose a little bit of my perspective, and I think I have done that already. But that's okay if you don't agree with me on those perspectives. One thing we can agree, Jesus is coming again. If you're hoping that I might connect dots as it relates to current events and Jesus' return, you might leave rather disappointed. I don't plan to connect dots as it relates to current events, but I do have a few things that I'd like to share as it relates to current events. I have three major points this evening that I'd like to touch on. Number one, looking at the doctrinal basis for Jesus' second card. title is Living in the Anticipation of the Lord's Soon Return. And there's one little word in there that I'd like to correct. And I don't know if it's more correct or not, but I would like to replace the word the Lord's return to our Lord's return. We need to own it. We need to um, hang on to it. Our Lord is coming, not just the Lord. It's our Lord. And so looking at the doctrinal basis for, the Lord, our, uh, for our Lord's second coming. And then I'd like to share a few thoughts as it relates to current events. And then lastly, and I told you the third point is majorly altered, and that was how then shall we live in the anticipation. So I kind of took the title and kind of went backwards if you noticed. <clears throat> Are we convinced that Jesus is coming again soon? Are we anticipating his soon return? And as we already had it in the devotional meditation, do we love his appearing? Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4. I've already related, related to a few of these verses already, but I'd like to read it again. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. These are Paul's words to the church at Thessalonica. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest ye sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice, with a trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And we, I hope we can say, Hallelujah. We're out of here, right? Verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. I don't know if the discussion or when you discuss about the Lord's second coming, if it brings peace to your heart or not. Paul says it should. We should talk about it and remind each other frequently that Jesus is coming again. Someday he's going to split the eastern skies, that song says, and blow the trumpet sound. And we're out of here. When Jesus comes for you and I, we get to leave behind the frailties of the human body. And I think most of us would understand what the frailties of the human body is. We have varying stages of dealing with the frailties of the human body. When Jesus calls my name, when Jesus calls our name, we're out of here. We're leaving the frail body behind. We're leaving behind the temptation to sin. 
Hallelujah. Probably most of us would understand that term. And we're leaving behind the curse of sin. Hallelujah. I don't know what went through your mind when you got the news that Brother Keith passed away of the accident. But when I first heard it, for a slight moment, I got a little jealous. He got to see Jesus before me. But I would rejoice in the fact that he's in the arms of Jesus now. And we can look forward to the time when we get to see him. Let's remain faithful so we can do that. Living in the anticipation of our Lord's soon return. Looking at a few things of the doctrinal basis. Uh, before we do that, though, um, just a few little stories as far as it relates to Jesus' soon return. Back in 2008, 2009, when we had this economic recession, uh, probably most of you would maybe remember the economic recession of 2008 and 9. Um, I was sitting in the office of a financial broker, and he told me, he says, Jesus is going to have to come back soon. And we had some other talk, and I left that office with the big question, really? So Jesus is going to come back based on the economic status of the United States of America. Now, wait a minute. Who do we think we are? Recently, within the last couple years, had a conversation with another man that said, Jesus is not coming back anytime soon. There's way too much prophecy to be fulfilled anytime soon. And I left that discussion saying, really? What, what do we believe? And so just a few things. We don't have time tonight to look at all the scripture references that talks about Jesus' return. And so if you think I'm missing a, a, an important Bible passage or important concept way, um, share it with me later, but we just don't have time. I, the more, the last couple weeks, three weeks, however, however long it's been, the New Testament and, and just different phrases have come out to me about the, the second coming of the Lord, just different in different ways and different forms. I'm like, wow, we don't have time to share all that. But anyway, just a few things that I find as it relates to what Jesus said about his soon return. And re, uh, turn with me to John 14. There's other passages we could turn to, like I said. John 14 was a discussion that he had with his disciples there in the upper room right before his crucifixion. But he starts out in verse 1 of chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And we'll just stop there. But the, I find it interesting that this is in the context. Jesus said in verse 1, don't be troubled. I'm going to leave, but I'm coming back. And we're in the interim location. But don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Paul said the same thing. Comfort yourself, one, with one another, with these words. Jesus is coming. Take comfort. Take courage. Don't be troubled. And here again, we don't have time to, to spend a lot of time on the, the Jewish wedding process and their culture. 
but this passage of scripture becomes extremely beautiful once you put what Jesus said in chapters or verses two and three here about I'm going away and I'm coming back in my father's house or many mansions there's room for you what Jesus would say if we would understand it in the Jewish culture in the in the wedding process this is a beautiful passage of scripture and it should bring comfort to us. Just a little tidbit. When the betrothal in the Jewish culture took place, I understand there was about six months period between when the betrothal took place and when the marriage ceremony took place. And in the in the in-between time, the 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 groom would go back to his father's house. I mean, remember, these these are these guys are 12, 12, 13 year olds that are getting married, okay? Um, so he would go back to his father's house and his father would prepare a room on the backside of his house for his son and his new bride. And when that, house, when that room was ready, then his father would say, it's time for you to go back to your bride and consummate the marriage right. And then we can go to Matthew 25 where we have the 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 ten virgins, the story of the ten virgins, where we had the crier coming into town ahead of the room. The bridegroom cometh! And, and the, the, the bride would make the last minute preparations and, and go out and, and be ready to meet the groom when he walked into town. And then they would go into the, the marriage uh, supper, the ceremony. But, it, but in the, another beautiful part of this, oftentimes the groom, after he went home, he would send his bride-to-be a token, a gift, as a guarantee of his coming. Ring any bells? We'll get there here in the middle of chapter 14. And so, and so when Jesus was tell, telling his disciples I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you, and when it's done, I'm coming back again. Should have spoke peace and comfort to, in quotes, the bride. And it should to us as well. Let's go to verse 18. Same chapter, verse 18. And this is in the context of his helper, the comforter that he was going to send. Verse 18, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And this is the context of the comforter. This is not Jesus physically coming again. What did I tell you about the token? We can go to um, other passages of scripture where it talks about this comforter as being the guarantee of his return. Someday this comforter is going to leave when the rapture of the church happens, as we find in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 7, when the, when the, 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 the oh, it kind of fails me, something about the, well, let's turn there. Keep your finger at John 17, but let's go to 2 Thessalonians. There's something I want us to catch. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 7. Well, let's, let's stop, jump into verse 6. And now ye know that withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. What's he talking about? The Holy Spirit is, is holding in check the lawlessness and wickedness of evil men. And when the rapture of the church takes place, there's no point in having the Holy Spirit here anymore. And so the Holy Spirit is going to go with the church. And then, and then lawlessness is going to run rapid. And folks, you and I ain't going to want to be here. And that's what we see between chapters 4 and 19 of Revelation. Go back to John 14, 28, verse 28. 
Again, this is Jesus' words. Uh, let's start with verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And we'll stop there. Again, it's in the context of don't be troubled. I am going away. I've told you I'm going away, but I'm coming back. And in the meantime, be at peace. Don't be troubled. I'm coming back to you, and I believe that is what our discussion is tonight, our topic for this evening. Jesus is wanting us to anticipate his return, not fear it and be afraid of it. And I am concerned that there is more fear and dread regarding his second coming than there is anticipation and excitement. I'm concerned about the multitude of books that are written on this subject that is feeding the fear factor. Let's be careful. At least in my experience, I haven't read a lot of these books, but in my experience of reading some of these books, the, the fear and anxiety starts welling up in my heart. And that's not what Jesus wants for us as his followers. He wants us to, to anticipate and look forward to and love his appearing, not fear it. All right, let's move on. This is just a few things that Jesus said about his second coming. Acts 1, where we have some angels talking about his second coming. Acts 1, verses, uh, jumping in at verse 9. Verse 8, we have the, Jesus talking to his disciples, his 11 disciples. Uh, he gives them the great commission in verse 8. And then he says, and then in verse 9, Now when he has spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were looking steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from heaven, up from you into heaven, will some will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, if you were one of the 11 disciples and you saw Jesus kind of float up into the sky and got hidden by a cloud, and that was the last you saw of Jesus. And then an angel said, this same Jesus that you saw, you will see him returning in like manner. Would you be expecting Jesus to come before you passed away? I'll let you think about that a little bit. I don't know what these 11 disciples thought. But we do have a few of those. Peter and John both wrote a few things about Jesus' second coming. And we'll look at that in a little bit. If, if you had a good friend that said goodbye and he said, I'll see you sometime soon, what would you think? I mean, he didn't tell when he was going to come see you or your friend. He just said, I'll see you sometime soon. Would you stay ready? Even after the second month, you, he didn't, that person didn't come back? No word, no nothing. Two years later, you're still waiting, right? Our Lord soon return. Turn with me to Hebrews 9. Looking at some, some of the early church writers. Hebrews 9. And don't know about this, but it seems like Hebrews was written about in AD 
68, somewhere in there. And if that is true, uh, Hebrews would have been written about 30, 35 years or so after what we read in Acts 1. Okay? Just putting things into perspective just a little. Hebrews 9, verse 26. And then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages. I want us to catch this. The end of the ages. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice himself. And as it was appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. Apart from sin for salvation. So this is 35 years later. We're looking for the appearing of Christ at the end of the ages. King James, I think, uses the end of the world. So this is where 35 years into the, into the early church, and they're already saying they're at the end of the world. So when did the end of the world start? And another thing I want us to note that he will appear a second time apart from sin. He won't come to deal with the sin issue. He did that already on the cross. But the next time he's coming, his appearing is for salvation. It's when, it's when those that believe in the Lord Jesus and believe God's word will be, as in the days of Noah, lifted up above destruction. The completeness of salvation. That was 35 years after. Chapter 10, verse 37 of Hebrews. And I find it interesting that the Hebrew writer here is quoting from Habakkuk. Uh, Old Testament prophecy. And this is what we see. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. So was, that, was Habakkuk talking about when Jesus came the first time or the second time? According to the Hebrew writer, it looks like Hebrews understood Habakkuk to talk about the second time. And so we have Jesus' second coming already prophesied in the Old Testament. But he who is coming will come and will not tarry. What does that sound like? If you're going to say, well, I'm going to come see you and I won't tarry, does that mean it sounds like just two weeks or five years? Sounds rather quickly, doesn't it? That was the concept 35 years into the early church. James 5. It is believed that James was a brother to Jesus. But James 5, verses 7 to 9. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman watches for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. If the, if the coming of the Lord is at hand, that's when? Soon. Very near. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Does that look sound like something that's far off in the future? It doesn't sound like far off in the future to me. The judge is standing at the door. We'll stop there. 1 Peter 5. Again, Peter was a 
the disciple of Jesus. 1 Peter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Was Peter talking about something that might happen far in the future? I don't think so. When the chief shepherd shall appear. In 2 Peter 1.16. For we have not followed cunning devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then we can go to chapter 3, and we won't take the time, but the chapter 3 talks is a whole chapter on Jesus' second coming and what it's going to be like. And I don't think Peter was, was talking about this as some time far in the future, 2,000 years down the road. The Mennonites in Rockingham County in 2024 will be experiencing that. I don't think so. I think he was talking about things that they were experiencing then. And I think that's important for us to catch. John, 1 John, was another disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved. Chapter 2. Remember, we're looking at Jesus' soon return. Uh, 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears... We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. When he appears. Chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Notice the word we. John was putting himself in that discussion. I'm convinced that John was convinced that Jesus could come in his lifetime. Incidentally, John outlived all the other 11 disciples. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. We have more words of Jesus himself as it relates to those seven churches. And again, I remind us that we are in the discussion of Jesus, what Jesus is saying about his soon return. I want us to get this. Because I fear that we sometimes think that Jesus' return is a long way off. Or at least we act like it. In the loveless church... The first one that we have listed, the church at Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from his place unless you repent. Does that mean if they repent, he wouldn't come quickly? No, I think what Jesus is saying is if you don't repent, I'll come as a thief in the night and you won't be ready. If you're ready, I'll still come, but it won't be as a thief. And it won't appear to be quickly. That's my interpretation. Chapter, uh, verse 16. We have the persecuted churches in verses 8 to 11. And I don't see anything here that Jesus is telling them I'm coming quickly. But he does tell them to hang on. He does tell them to persevere. But that's the persecuted church. And that was one of the, in quotes, perfect church, blameless churches. And then the next one we have, the compromising church, verses 12 to 17. And verse 16 he says, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. It doesn't sound too pleasant. But again, I suggest to you that the word quickly has the idea of, of I will come when you don't expect me and I'm going to use the sword. Uh, verse 25, we have the corrupt church. And these are the, the titles that I have in my Bible. The corrupt church, verse 25. Behold fast what you have till I come. If the Lord of the church would tell us as a conference, you all hang on to what you have until I come. Uh, are we going to do that? 
It's been 2000, almost 2,000 years since Jesus told this church at Thyatira to hold fast till I come. And I wonder if they're still holding fast. Don't know. But I'm coming. Hold fast till I come. Chapter 3, verse 3. This is the dead church. They had lots of things going, but Jesus said they were dead. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Verse 11. We have, in my Bible, it's called the faithful church. But even to the faithful church, verse 11, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Hold fast. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast, so that no one may take your crown. Verse 19, I really couldn't find a lot for the Laodicean church, this lukewarm church, as far as a direct admonition to repent, or no, not repent, but uh, that I'm coming quickly. But we do have something that is pretty close to that. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. If, if your preacher would tell you to be zealous and repent, that means do it within the next two weeks. Philip, if you would tell one of your sheep here to be zealous and repent, that means what? Now. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming now. I'm coming soon. My coming is at hand. Repent is the message. And this is the message to the seven churches. And I suggest to you that this is the message to the church era. And every... and. And I don't believe that these, that these are in chronological order. Just because we as American Mennonites or American churches in America are probably experiencing the Laodicean experience doesn't necessarily mean that the church, that Jesus is coming soon. Any more than the people in Iran that are being severely persecuted and have zero dollars. Turn with me to Revelation 22. We don't have a lot in between these two chapters of Jesus' message to the church. Or at least I don't see it. Oh, I was going to note back in chapter 4 of why I said the door of the church or the, or the rapture of the church, I suggest to you, is going to happen between verses 3 and chapters 4 is in verse 1 that says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after. And so I suggest to you that chapter 4 is future. Now let's go to chapter 22. Verse 6. And I suggest to you that everything between verses 4 to 22, 5 here is future. Verse 6, the Lord brings John back to the moment, back to the current, back to the church. And look what he says. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the thing which must shortly take place. Place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. Behold, I come quickly. Verse 10. And he saith to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. This is a message to the church, message to us today. The time is at hand. Verse 12, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. 
And these are the last words that we have recorded from Jesus our Lord. Surely I am coming quickly. And then John's response. Oh, I love John's response. And I trust that everyone here can say the same thing. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We're ready. We're ready. Come. I hope we can say that. We say we believe in the imminent return of Jesus' return. But do we live as if his return is imminent? And that word imminent, we have that in our rules and discipline on page 10 under article 16 of the coming of the Lord. We believe in the personal imminent coming of our Lord Jesus as a blessed hope of the believer that we are alive and remain together with the dead in Christ who will first be raised shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and thus ever be with the Lord. We say that's what we believe. Do we understand what the word imminent is? I've been telling you for the last 15, 20 minutes what the word imminent is. He's coming quickly. He's coming soon. His coming is at hand. Do we live that way? I see the clock is going faster than my notes. Current events. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 4. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and behold all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Where, what did the Hebrew writers say as far as the last days? When did they start? When Jesus came the first time. The last days started. And I hear people say, well, in these last days, you know, surely we're in the last days because of... No, wait a minute, friends. The last days started when Jesus hung on the cross. And so for the last 2,000 years, we've been experiencing the last days. And as I was reading through, putting this together and, and, and thinking about some of this, it seemed like as if God's time clock for Israel stopped. And I don't know if that's accurate or not. But these last days, Jesus spoke to them in these last days. Acts 2.17 says, And it shall come to pass in the last days. And I think this is a quote from Hosea, I believe. Says God that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. These last days were when? When the Holy Spirit came, not just in the last 200 years. Second Peter tells us, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walk according to the last. I'm convinced there were scoffers in Peter's day. That's why he said it. And he viewed himself as living in the last days. Current events in these last days. Let's turn to Matthew 24. Deciding how much to read. Jumping in at verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And, and by the way, they are wanting to know when these last days will take place and what's going to be the signs. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. I don't know what you're thinking about the wars and rumors of wars that we are having in our current times. Does that trouble you? It should. Jesus said they'd happen. 
And as I was pondering that, you know, the United Nations was set up to kind of bring peace among all nations. They're a fail before they get started. Jesus said they are. Now, I'm not, I'm not necessarily against peace between nations. But when you have evil men at the, at the, in the throne of government, you're going to have a dog-eat-dog world, and you're going to have wars. Jesus told us that. And so when we have war in Ukraine and war in Israel and war in wherever, in China and who knows where, let's not get too unraveled. Jesus said they would happen. And until Jesus comes, they're going to happen. Just because we're seeing wars doesn't necessarily mean Jesus is coming, well, isn't the sign that Jesus is coming soon, okay? Because there was wars ever since Jesus, the day Jesus will walk on the earth. Persecutions. Uh, for nations will rise against nations, a kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. And I wonder about this thing about earthquakes. It seems like they're happening maybe more frequently. At least that's what some people say. But I wonder. I wonder if part of it is we're just more aware globally of what's going on. I don't know. It's possible. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Uh, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended, betray one another, and will hate one another. And you become a Christian. Guess what happens? You get betrayed. Your family hates you. You're run out of country. What's happening? Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, and he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, and we won't necessarily go there, but he's got a big, long list of things of what people will be, describes people in the last days. They were current in Paul's day and they're current in our day. And until Jesus returns, they're going to continue to be current. That list will be always be current. And I hope that the list of adjectives, especially in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, is not named here. You're not in the boat. You're not in the ark. Those kinds of stuff are going to be outside of the ark. We had better be zealous and repent, or Jesus will come quickly and remove our candlestick. And woe be unto us. All right, well, the third point, living in anticipation. How shall we live? Well, I had a number of points here, and I largely deleted them all because I knew I was going to run out of time, and I am. I'm going to sum it up in just one point, okay? Just be ready to die. Just be ready to die. And if you're ready to die, then you're anticipating the Lord's soon return. If you're not ready to meet your maker right now, then you are not living in the anticipation of our Lord's soon return. If you fell through the skylight and met a sudden death, would you be ready to meet your maker? Would, would the judge of all the earth say, well done? Would he say, depart? You who practice lawlessness. I don't know you. I don't know your heart. God does. And God isn't going to be spending a lot of time in deciphering whether you're one of his or not. He already knows that. My question for us tonight is, if you would die right now, would you be ready? Are you cleaned up, prayed up, and ready to go up? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again. Your word that we can stake our lives on. And we stand challenged before you in the concept of Jesus' words of coming quickly.
coming to us soon. And the sudden passing of Brother Keith is a startling reminder for us. Father, I pray that you would search our hearts, that we would be ready, we would be waiting, we would be looking towards the eastern sky and anticipating that trumpet blast and the graves be opened and we can go floating in the air to go be with Jesus forever. Amen. I'd like you for you to turn in your Zion's praises song number 187.